It is the Healthy Families Podcast, and my name is Jenny Hatch, and I'm your host. Today on Capitol Hill, Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger were grilled by both Democrats and Republicans. The hearing was still going when I just logged off just now. It's 4 o'clock out here in Colorado. But I have a few clips to share, and I would love to hear your thoughts especially if you took the time to watch and or have read the Twitter files. It's quite a spectacle what's happening on the Hill. The Democrats are falling all over themselves to shoot and kill the messengers, which I find to be quite embarrassing in this republic we have, where press is guaranteed freedoms. Be that as it may, there were a few bright moments I captured some audio clips that I'm going to play, but mostly I'd love to talk. If you have thoughts on this topic, please feel free to call in and let's, uh, let's discuss. So they both put out statements before the hearing started. I found Matt's to be particularly compelling. I'm not going to take the time to read it. I'd encourage you to go look it up. Matt lived in Russia for many years as a, what he termed a grunge journalist and was friends with several of the locals in Russia who were brave journalists and some of them were killed. So he understands how journalists have fared in other nations when they stood up to power. And he said, reading the Twitter files has in fact been the most chilling journalistic endeavor he's engaged in since he became a journalist 30 years ago. So that was an interesting thing to hear. Here is clip number one. Debbie Wasserman shout, uh, Schultz was, she's just Debbie, she, this is Debbie. so. Take her as she is. Society of Professional Journalists Code of Ethics asserts that journalists should avoid political activities that can compromise integrity or credibility. Being a Republican witness today certainly casts a cloud over your objectivity. But a deeper concern that I have relates to the ethics of how journalists receive and present certain information. Journalists should avoid accepting spoon-fed, cherry-picked information if it's likely to be slanted, incomplete, or designed to reach a foregone, easily disputed, or invalid conclusion. Would you agree with that? I think it's. I think it depends. Really? You, you wouldn't agree that a journalist should avoid spoon-fed, cherry-picked information if it's likely to be slanted, incomplete, or designed to reach a foregone, easily disputed, or invalid conclusion? Mrs. Con uh, Congresswoman, I've done probably a dozen stories involving whistleblowers. Every reported story that I've ever done across three decades involves sources who have motives. Every time you do a story, you're making a, a, a balancing test okay. reclaiming, the public Reclaiming interest. my time. Thank you very much. Okay. I ask you this because before you became Elon Musk's hand-picked journalist, so, and pardon the oxymoron, you stated this on Joe Rogan's podcast about being spoon-fed information, and I quote, I think that's true of any kind of journalism, and you'll see it behind me here. I think that's true of any kind of journalism. Once you start getting handed things, then you've lost. They have you at that point, and you got to get out of that habit. You just can't cross that line. 
Do you still believe what you told Mr. Rogan? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes. Good. Now, you crossed that line with the Twitter files. No. Elon Musk, it's my time. Please do not interrupt me. Elon Musk spoon-fed... I have to... So, when she said that, it's my time, uh, the audience broke into laughter. And I was laughing right along with them. She's so rude. You know, I, I watched the interview that Brianna Joy Gray did with Matt last week. And, you know, Bri asked some tough questions. She actually asked the same question about 20 times over and over with different words. But it was basically the same question. You know, why didn't you report on the leftists who were censored? And why isn't there a fair play? Why, why isn't there the same amount of alarm for the censorship of the left? And she asked that same question over and over and over again. And she was more polite than Debbie is. Debbie's just, like I said, Debbie's Debbie. Here's uh, Matt Gates asking about, I can't remember what Matt asked. I'll just let you listen. Yeah, to, uh, a question I'm amazed hasn't been asked of the two of you. This FTC consent decree, where it is government action subject to rigorous scrutiny under First Amendment standards, government action demanding that your names be listed. How did it feel when you found out that you were being expressly targeted by a government on document? It was chilling. I mean, it's disturbing. I, I never thought that would happen in the United States of America. I've been in a bunch. I've lived in a bunch of authoritarian countries. I've visited a lot of authoritarian countries. Never thought this kind of thing would be going on here. And the nexus to authoritarianism is the desire to control the nature of truth itself. Our understandings change about things. We learn new things. We challenge prior assumptions. But if a bunch of people in Washington, D.C. get to decide what the truth is and then enforce it on the country and then punish and target those who report on their conduct, we are drifting more toward that. How did you feel, Mr. Tybee, when you saw your name? I was uh, upset, obviously. Um, I, I lived in uh, Russia during the 90s and early 2000s. I was there when Putin took power. I was friends with a group of uh, very brave, uh, muckraking reporters in Russia many of whom didn't make it. A few of them um, were murdered after Putin came to power. So I've always been conscious of how the risks that other reporters take in other countries are incredibly severe. And that's one of the reasons why I'm motivated to protect the First Amendment, because our, our country has the best protections for reporters in the world. Um, but this kind of thing, where the government is looking for information about reporters, it's usually a canary in the coal mine that something worse is coming in terms of uh, an effort to exercise control over the press. And so on that level, it's, it's absolutely disturbing. Also, the Aspen Institute report that we, we uh, published today, uh, talked about today in the Twitter files thread, um, one of their recommendations was that the FTC be empowered uh, to get uh, to have unlimited power to search uh, all data of uh, private companies so that they could more freely and more accurately search uh, the speech of ordinary citizens. So, so as you're trying to put downward pressure on the government's expanding authority to be able to engage in what we see mostly from dictatorships, what you're reporting and what you're observing is that actually they view this as a growth industry, the information business, right? This, this yes. censorship industrial complex is a growth industry to the government. I think the key thing also, yes, and the thing to understand is that NSF... New, how, what is NewsGuard, and how are they part of the censorship industrial complex? Yeah, and we, by the way, we talked about Richard Sangle. He's but on board of NewsGuard. Uh, item that so I've shared several times in my podcast that I am permanently suspended from Twitter. I've appealed three times since Elon bought it and still am not allowed to participate. And I was shadow banned during the election where Hillary Clinton was running against Barack Obama 
in the primary. And if you'll recall, it was Hillary who was questioning President Obama's birth certificate. She's the one who did that dump of information and started asking questions. People forget that. But she stepped out as a politician wanting to be the commander in chief. And on my Twitter, I just started sharing all sorts of information about the Clintons. There was one day I did what would be the equivalent of a thread, although they don't have, they didn't have threads back then. But every five minutes or so, I would go onto Twitter and tweet out something from my blog that contained more information about who the Clintons are. And I always tagged Hillary's uh, Twitter account as I did that. So tweet after tweet after tweet I sent out, kind of dogging her, trolling her a little bit, but really trying to express to my Twitter followers that this woman would be problematic as our commander in chief. It was that day that I was shadow banned. And so that was like, cow, years ago, years ago. And ever since I've lived under the shadow of not really being allowed to express my full views or get the full reach of possibility on Twitter. The only exception to that was when I would occasionally post some content that had a popular hashtag in it and other people would come in to see my content, my videos, my thoughts through that hashtag. And sometimes those tweets did get significant amounts of traffic, especially if they had nothing to do with politics. I would occasionally make a video where uh, we were having some event here in Colorado, like the Marshall fires or the floods of 2012, or something was happening locally that was not necessarily political and I would make a video about it. And then through the hashtag tied to my video, I would get tons of engagement. And so it wasn't that I was completely ghosted. People could see my content if they clicked over to my wall, but almost none of my tweets showed up if they had political and or healthcare information in them. And so, you know, I know how it feels to be ghosted and shadow banned and now permanently suspended and I was permanently suspended about nine months ago when I was doing a deep dive on a story out of Utah tied to a person named David Hamblin has been arrested and a network of people around him who were engaged in the trafficking, prostitution, and torture of small children. And so I did six weeks of intensive journalism using my Twitter feed to create content for my Substack, I created all sorts of threads, embedded videos, and just used Twitter to organize my data, which is my favorite reason for using Twitter. It makes my job as a writer, as a blogger, as a citizen journalist, an indie journalist, it makes my work easier to be able to share links and quotes and various content on my Substack. And, you know, formerly on my blog on WordPress, I use Twitter all the time to do that. And it's just an efficiency, uh, an efficient way to, to bundle information together in a micro blog and then share it on your, on your written post. And so I love Twitter for that reason. I love engaging. I still read Twitter every day. Certain accounts I read every day, certain hashtags I follow 
religiously, so I still love Twitter, and I'm most anxious to get back on. Hint, hint, Elon Musk, please reinstate my my account. I, I really would love to go back to Twitter. I'd love to be on Twitter Spaces, which was just really getting going when I was banned, so I'd love to do some podcasting over on Twitter. Anyway, so I've been following this Twitter story intently in the hopes that perhaps what's happening here will help me get my Twitter back. We can only hope, right? Okay, this next gal who was grilling um, Matt, especially uh, a Democrat, she said she didn't even know what a substack was. The question she was asking, was it was making it obvious. She didn't really know how Twitter operated. She probably has somebody on her staff handling her Twitter feed. So her line of questioning was actually kind of funny. And, and you could tell Matt was kind of smiling, you know, as he was answering, answering her inane questions, but I share this just for the lulls. Uh, item that you, when you responded to the ranking member, you said that you had free license to look at everything, but yet you yourself posted on your, your um, I guess it's kind of like a web page. I don't quite understand what Substack is, but uh, that what I can say is that in exchange for the opportunity to cover a unique and explosive story, I had to agree to certain conditions. What were those conditions? She asked you that question, and you said you had none, but you yourself posted that you had conditions. No, the, the conditions, as I've explained multiple times. No, uh, sir, you've not explained. You told her, her in response to her question that you had no conditions. In fact, you, you kind of used the word license, that you were free to look at all of them, all 100,000 emails. I was, the, the question was posed, was, was I free to, to write about? Sir, did you have any conditions? The condition was that we published. Sir, did you Twitter. have any conditions? Yes, yes or no? Okay, that, that went on and on for five more minutes, so I won't bore you with the rest of it, but it was a funny moment because she was, you know, stabbing in the dark and what can I, what can I nail him on? And, um, and he's kind of chuckling, so it was a little bit of levity during the whole thing. Here's another clip. Uh, Who was the individual Twitter. that uh, gave you permission to access the emails? Well, the attribution for my story is sources at Twitter, and that's what I'm going to refer to. Okay. Uh, did Mr. Musk contact you, Mr. Taibbi? Again, the attribution for my story is sources at Twitter. Mr. Schellenberger, did Mr. Musk contact you? Uh, actually, no. I was brought in by my friend Barry Weiss, and so this story, there's been a lot of misinformation. So Mr. Weiss brought you in. Mr. Taibbi, Ms. Weiss, thank you. Mr. Taibbi, have you had conversations with Elon Musk? I have. Okay. Uh, Mr. Taibbi, did Mr. Musk place any conditions on the but use the of the email? Would the gentle lady yield for a second? Uh, as long as my time is not used. Are you, are you trying to get journalists? No, I'm not trying to get sources? No, I'm not. Well, I am asking. Like no. So that was her trying to find out who Matt's source was at Twitter. And like any good journalist, he said, no, I'm not going to tell you the name of my source, it's just somebody at Twitter. Um, and then she wanted to know if, if Schellenberger had been brought in by Elon, and Elon's, and he said no, it was Barry Weiss who brought me in as one of the people dropping a Twitter file. And he said there was a lot of disinformation and misinformation around the truth of who, who was assigned to do what, who was recruited by who, but she cut him off. So, Again, the, the Democrats are just falling all over their faces with these attempts to uh, back these journalists into the, in the corner and, and prove that they're just 
nefarious actors and have done nothing good and have nothing to contribute and sit up, shut down, you know, sit down, shut up. Um, it's just funny. So here's another one. Don't reply. Um, I'm not a so-called journalist. Uh, I've won the National Magazine Award, the I Have Stone Award for Independent Journalism, and I've written 10 books, including four New York Times, New York Times best. Uh, let me start with Mr. Taibbi. Uh, you have a long, award-winning journalist uh, career. You've just highlighted here decades of experience reporting on some of the most conflict, uh, complex and important issues of our time. Where do you rate your reporting on the Twitter files among your whole body of work throughout your career? How, how serious is this? Um, well, first of all, uh, Mr. Congressman, thank you for the question. Uh, I, I would say, you know, I, I spent 10 years covering the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis. Um, that was obviously a very serious issue, but... Um, this Twitter file story and what we're looking at now and what we're investigating now, um, I don't think there's any comparison. This is by far the most serious thing um, that I've ever looked at, and it's it's certainly the most grave story that I've ever worked seen where the CIA gave him a story, and he was very uncomfortable. Uh, he said that I, who had always gotten the secrets, was being handed the secrets. <laughs> Those are the clips I used in the first portion of my video today. I just finished editing it. When I make a video, quite often I'll use the most interesting, pithy, funny uh, memes or news clips, and then I'll share all the memes, just the the photograph memes, along with classic rock. This was Aerosmith's I'm Back in the Saddle Again, I used for my movie today. And then I will finish up with the more lengthy portions of whatever I'm covering for the day. Um, and that's how I craft my videos. Um, these last clips I have are a little bit longer, and I am just going to play them just to, you know, save, save them as a part of the record. But um, as Matt and uh, Schellenberger said, you know, the things that they have witnessed in these files, in the emails between government agencies and Twitter executives are chilling. And I've heard it said that if you think the Twitter files are problematic, just wait until you see the Facebook files or the YouTube files. The links between government agencies and our social media are there. In many ways, they have had top-down control of social media since Twitter and Facebook began. Some people even theorize that it was Central Intelligence Agency operatives who started these sites and that they put up their puppets in the form of Mark Zuckerberg. And I can't remember the name of the guy who started Twitter. Um, and that they were the faces of the company and the CEOs, but these were really started by government interests to help control and censor and really monitor the speech of the American people. So I believe that's true. Here is our next clip believe five minutes i want to talk about the weaponization of the cdc again yeah in my opinion this this clip from massey is the most important clip that i heard today and i did not watch all of it i watched probably two hours ish of the hearing i just don't have time to monitor everything but this massey clip was so chilling in terms of the cdc and the health agencies dr fauci himself and others using their ability to censor medical content on social media. And I'm still anxiously waiting 
for their Twitter files to come out. It hasn't happened yet, but eventually we will get there with these Fauci files and hopefully get the truth around that. So here is Thomas Massey making some excellent points. And the American people, and this overlaps with one of the Twitter files, number 13 by my count, actually by Alex Berenson, not one of our two witnesses, but I would like your comment on it. A week before Christmas 2020, the vaccines came out, the FDA curated the Pfizer trial results, and then the CDC curated the FDA's opinion. The CDC said in their MMWR, which is never peer-reviewed, they're very proud it's not peer-reviewed, they treat it like science, it's not science. They said that the vaccine was 92% efficacious for people who had already had COVID. The Pfizer trial data said no such thing. In fact, it, there was no support for that claim. So I called up the head of the CDC, recorded the conversation, the head in Washington, D.C. She said she'd get the top scientists on the line. There was a snowstorm that day, so I was impressed. She got this top scientist on the line. They said I was Eagle Eye Massey. They couldn't believe how that statement had made it into their report. And that I was absolutely correct. There was no support for it. So uh, I said, how are you going to fix it? You're going to redact it? You're going to change it? What are you going to do? They said, we'll do all of that. I said, great. A month later, it was still on their website. I made some more phone calls. They brought in a, an old hand, an old fixer, Dr. Shushat. These are her notes with uh, of her phone call with me about natural immunity. In January, when I called him out on it again, these are the entirety of her notes that were obtained uh, in Mafoya from somebody, a third party. Uh, I took all of my recordings, released them to Cheryl Atkinson. She, she blew the whistle on this. People, A lot of people have forgotten about it. Uh, here's, here's why I find it interesting, and I'm going to tie it into the Twitter files. And by the way, I told them I was not anti-vax. I said the problem with your story is there's a misallocation of vaccines, which are not available for all the old people in Kentucky, but you got young people in Kentucky taking them because you're telling them on the website, even if you've had COVID, go get it. So that was my complaint. Um, on May 20 or May 10th, 2021, Todd O'Boyle, this name will come up in a Twitter file later. He's the top lobbyist in Twitter's Washington office, who was also Twitter's point of contact in the White House. He encouraged the CDC to enroll in the uh, partner support program. Oh, okay. The CDC is now a partner with Twitter because they're in the partner support program. They, He said, in the future, that's the best way to get a spreadsheet like this reviewed. Now, this is an email from uh, between Todd O'Boyle and uh, and the folks at CDC. By the way, let me let me uh, talk to this, too. This is these are more of my conversations with the CDC completely redacted the subject thereof. Uh, next next one, please. I also found as a result of the FOIA, CDC tracks every tweet that a congressman puts out, not just Republican, but Democrat. They keep a spreadsheet. They make it every week. Uh, this showed up in the FOIA for me because I'm in their spreadsheet that they track. Why is this interesting? Okay, so they're tracking congressman's tweets at CDC. They're enrolled in the partner support uh, portal at uh, at Twitter. And then I found, this is why, um, I found Alex Berenson's report very interesting because uh, what he found out is that Scott Gottlieb worked hard and, and Twitter complied, it looks like, to censor a tweet 
from a doctor about natural immunity. Guess what? On the same day that that doctor's tweet was censored, so were my tweets on natural immunity. Why is this important? What is what is consequential about the date? This is three days after the military vaccine mandate came out and a week before the federal vaccine mandates came out. This truth was toxic to, to a narrative that Pfizer was spreading, that Joe Biden wanted out there so that he could force the vaccine on everybody, whether you had natural immunity or not. Now, I actually... You guys might not agree with me on this. I don't think the press gets special privileges on the First Amendment. I think I don't think Congress does. I think every American, by virtue of being an American, is, has the right to free speech enshrined in the Constitution. So I'm not so much worried that they they uh, censored a, a congressman, but they disabled all the comments from my constituents. Those are the voices they squelched. And my beef is not with Twitter. My beef is with the CDC and these federal agencies, and I encourage you all, if you can, to find more about this. And uh, do you have any, either of you have any comments on this topic? Yeah. The gentleman's time expired, but the gentleman may, may the, the Still had three respond. seconds. The witnesses may respond. Okay. Just quickly, we, we found just yesterday a tweet from um, the, the Virality Project at Stanford, which is partnered with a, new, a number of government agencies on Twitter, where they talk explicitly about um, censoring stories of true vaccine side effects um, and other true stories that they felt uh, encouraged hesitancy. Now, the the censoring true. Yeah, so they use the word true three times uh, in this email. And what's what's notable about this is that it reflects the fundamental misunderstanding of this whole disinformation complex, anti-disinformation complex. They believe that ordinary people can't handle. Uh, difficult truths. And so they think that they need minders to separate out things that are controversial or difficult um, for them. And that's, again, that's totally contrary to what America is all about, I think. I'll just briefly add, this is very disturbing because what they're doing when they're putting these labels on there is they're actually also trying to discredit you. So it's not just, uh, it's a form of censorship, but it's also a, a disinformation campaign. And I think what Matt says is really important to understand. I mean, we went from, you go from a, a situation where we were fighting ISIS recruiting, and then it was Russian disinformation. And now they're in a situation where they're wanting to censor true information, accurate facts, because they're worried that people might behave in ways that they don't want them to. That involves mind reading at a level that is grossly inappropriate. I mean, I worry even about making this defense because let's remember the First Amendment protects our right to be wrong. Mm -hmm. It protects our right to lie. I mean, it's bizarre to me that we would need to make a defense of the First Amendment and remind people that we have a right to be wrong. And being wrong, as Matt was explaining, is a big part of being a human being and having a democracy. So this is disturbing and chilling, and you're absolutely right to be outraged by it. There needs to be a full truth and reconciliation that I hope everybody would appreciate. Um, so that was Thomas Massey, and it was excellent, his line of questioning. Hello, Rudy. Do you want to chime in? Have you listened to the Twitter files? What say you? If you don't want to call in, that's okay, too. So just in case you're curious, I am in touch with a young woman who is nine weeks pregnant with her first baby. 
She just went to the doctor for the first time to get an ultrasound, meet her doctor. The doctor offered her the COVID vaccine, said we're still offering this to pregnant women. Even after all of the, the many, many journalists, journalistic reports that we've had compiled by people like Naomi Wolf at the Daily Clout and others from around the world who've reported shocking statistics regarding miscarriage, spontaneous abortion, and problems with moms who get this shot, especially in their first trimester. This woman was offered it today. So just so you know, it's still being shared, pushed. She said when she declined, she was grateful that there was not a lot of arm twisting going on for her. And so that was good to hear. But just the same, it was offered. So let's be clear on where we're at in the current zeitgeist in terms of COVID vaccine. Here's another clip from the hearing today. Across three decades involves sources who have motives. Every time you do a story, you're making a, a, a balancing test okay. between the public. Reclaiming my time. Thank you very much. I ask you this because before you became Elon Musk's hand-picked journalist, so, and pardon the oxymoron, you stated this on Joe Rogan's podcast about being spoon-fed information, and I quote, I think that's true of any kind of journalism, and you'll see it behind me here. I think that's true of any kind of journalism. Once you start getting handed things, then you've lost. They have you at that point, and you got to get out of that habit. You just can't cross that line. Do you still believe what you told Mr. Rogan, yes or no? Yes or no? Yes. Good. Now, you crossed that line with the Twitter files. No. Elon Musk, it's my time. Please do not interrupt me. Elon Musk spoon-fed spoon you his cherry-picked information, which you must have suspected promotes a slanted viewpoint, or at the very least generates another right-wing conspiracy theory. You violated your own standard, and you appear to have benefited from it. Before the release of emails in, of the emails in August of last year, you had 661,000 Twitter followers. After the Twitter files, your followers doubled, and now it's three times what it was last August. I imagine your Substack readership, which is a subscription, increased significantly because of the work that you did for Elon Musk. Now, I'm not asking you to put a dollar figure on it, but it's quite obvious that you profited from the Twitter files. You hit the jackpot on that Vegas slot machine to which you referred. That's true, isn't it? I've also reinvested. You've made some, no, 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 no. Is it true that you have profited since you were received, you were this recipient of the Twitter files? You've made money. Yes or no? I Very think it's probably question. a wash, honestly. No, nope. you, you have made money that you did not have before, correct? But I've also spent money that I didn't have okay. before. I just hired a I, whole group of people. A, a patently obvious things. answer, reclaiming my time. Attention is a powerful drug. Eyeballs, money, prominence, attention, all of it points to problems with accuracy and credibility. And the larger point, which is social media companies are not biased against conservatives. And if anything, they ignored their own policies by allowing Trump and other MAGA extremists to post incessant lies, endangering public safety and even our democracy. Hypocrisy is the hangover of an addiction to attention. Now, I want to point out another, another alleged finding from the Twitter files. Mr. Schellenberger, you've referenced several times this $3.4 million that the FBI paid to Twitter in 2020 that was referenced in General Counsel Jim Baker's email. I first want to confirm that nowhere in the email does Baker say 
that the money was paid to censor information, take down posts, suspend accounts, or do anything to, to relating to content moderation. Is that correct? It is. Thank you. But honest reporting would have explained that the $3.4 million was paid to release information, not censor it. One of my colleagues on the panel repeated your distortions and told Americans this reimbursement was used to, quote, censor certain stories. That's a flat-out lie. Mr. Schellenberger, are you aware of Section 2706 under the Stored Communications Act? It says when social media companies comply with subpoenas, warrants, or court orders, it costs them money, so they get reimbursed. The FBI makes these requests and reimbursements to discover evidence and run relevant to a criminal investigation. Let me repeat that. The FBI makes these requests to help catch the bad guys. That helps keep child predators off social media sites. It helps keep violent criminals off our streets. I support the FBI and our law enforcement agencies. It would be nice if our Republican colleagues did the same and not fabricate explanations for payments that are defined for clear purposes in federal law. My time is just about wrapped up. The truth is that social media companies are unregulated monoliths. They pose danger to individuals. They allow posts that bring harm, and that's the bottom line. That this, the other side, will not tell you. I yield back the balance of my time. Um, generally, I had no time to yield back, but I will let the gentleman, uh, Mr. Schellenberger, respond. And I would also point out that I did not say what Mr. the FBI Chairman, paid Twitter ask- for. All I said was they paid Twitter $3.4 million. Mr. Chairman, point of order, I didn't, Schellenberger- ask, I didn't ask Mr. Schellenberger a question. Yeah, but he wants to, the witness wants to respond, and the witness have been invited our guests, and frankly, they've been attacked by the federal well, please government. please do that. I, I, I'm going to let Mr. Schellenberger answer that before recognizing Mr. Bishop. So are you going to do that as we move down the, the, the line of, of questioners? Uh, the gentleman has not been recognized. You had your five minutes, and frankly, I think that's at the discretion of the chair. Oh. Mr. Schellenberger, you can respond briefly. I'll be brief, which is that my understanding from those files is that Twitter had decided not to take that money until recently. So if you read that email... Uh, what Stasha, I believe, the person I sent it, is saying is that they started taking money after previously not taking it. And I believe that the reason that they had not taken it earlier was because they did not want that financial conflict clouding their relationship. Mr. Chairman, the money is payment under federal law order. so that they can... The gentleman from North Carolina, Mr. Bishop, is recognized for five materials minutes. Materials that they've been asked. I thank the gentleman. Uh, Mr. Taibbi, uh, would you care to... I'm down here on this end, sir. Uh, I'm... Uh, would you care to respond to the attack on your ethics? You weren't given really an opportunity to answer. And if you'd be brief, I've got a bunch of stuff I want to ask you as well. Sure, just quickly, the, the that moment on the Joe Rogan show, I was actually recounting a section from Seymour Hersh's book, Reporter, where he described a scene where the CIA gave him a story, and he was very uncomfortable. Uh, he said that I, who had always gotten the secrets, was being handed the secrets. It, look, again, I've done lots of whistleblower stories. There's always a balancing test that you make when you're given material and you're always balancing newsworthiness versus the motives of your sources. In this case, the newsworthiness clearly outweighed any other considerations, and I think everybody else who worked on the project agreed. Doesn't it seem like any reporter who breaks a blockbuster story is going to get attention, and there may be even financial consequences that follow? It seems like as as surely as the night follows the day, that's the case, right? That is true, although I would like to clear up you know, some things that have been misrepresented. Not one of us has actually been paid to do any of this work. We've all, um, you know, traveled on our own. We've, uh, we've hired our personnel on our own. And I've just hired a, a pretty large team to investigate this issue yeah. uh, out of my own pocket. The fact that the attempt comes from the dais across the aisle to smear you, uh, you frankly, uh, I think 
liberals, if I understand that, uh, uh, in your background, you're both good liberals and you come in and the Democrats' hostility to what you've uh, undertaken is astonishing to behold, but it's part of the picture we're seeing. In Twitter files number 15, Mr. Taib, you exposed Hamilton 68. A website associated with a German Marshall Fund that purported in a dashboard to identify Russian bot networks and uh, became ubiquitously cited by media to identify media stories or narratives that supposedly flowed from Russia. From Russia! Uh, you showed that the front man for Hamilton 68 was Clint Watts, a former FBI agent. At Twitter, the trust and safety executives were ridiculing Hamilton 68 for the ludicrous uh, identifications that it was making, which they could re reverse engineer and figure out who those accounts were. And then in Twitter files number 17, after disclosing Mr. Watts, identity, you disclosed that J.M. Berger is the creator of Hamilton 68. And guess what? He was a federal contractor, right? He was, yes. He, he, uh, he, he denies that he worked on it for the Global Engagement Center, but he was an employee of theirs until about a month before the dashboard's release. Just a month before it, he said, I believe publicly, that, uh, he, that, that the dashboard was the product of three, year, three years' work. So doesn't it beg sort of the intriguing question whether the creation of this fraudulent Hamilton 68 dashboard was effectively underwritten by government funding? Yes, I think it's, that's a good question. Uh, certainly the German Marshall Fund, which is the, the NGO that is at the top of the chain in this organ, organization, it's the German Marshall Fund, then the Alliance for Securing Democracy, and then Hamilton 68. Uh, they're a federal contractor. They received over a million dollars from the Department of, of Defense. Um, they're the board of the Alliance for Securing Democracy, has a former acting head of the CIA, uh, former deputy head of the NSA, a former chief of the DHS on yep. it. So I, I want to make, and, and the bigger point is hard because the examples sometimes start making it. I want to introduce you to, or introduce country to somebody else. I think you've mentioned it in some of your writings, Richard Stengel. You know who that is? Yes, he's the former, uh, the first head of the Global Engagement Center. I want the American people to hear from him for 30 seconds. Basically, every country creates their own narrative story. And, and, you know, my old job at the State Department was what people used to joke as the chief propagandist job. We haven't talked about propaganda. Propaganda, I'm not against propaganda. Every country does it, and they have to do it to their own population. Every country does it. Every country does propaganda, and they have to do it to their own people, is what Mr. Stingle said. If I understand correctly, he was the head of the, of the, G, of the Global Engagement Center at its creation, right? He was, and in his book, um, Information Wars, there's, there are a number of passages where he talks about creating a whole-of-government solution to the information problem. He hastened to say that he didn't want to create any, a, quote, information ministry, but what he was describing roughly... In the half minute I've got left, he also was associated with Hamilton 68, right? Um, um, the, the Global Engagement Center certainly had ties to Hamilton 68. I think it's closer than that. Well, that'll come out. Okay. <laughs> well, Mr. I'd be anxious to hear that. I hope I'll get yielded in a minute or two from somebody else down the way. There's all sorts of stuff to disclose. This committee has to uncover not this that single instance, but this system that you have described. This is the hope that Americans have to set this right. This committee and that hostility shows what we're up against. It's not three pillars to the to the system. It is four. And you're seeing the left move to crush you and anybody else who tries to expose this. I yield. 
I thank the gentleman for his great uh, five minutes. We now yield to the gentleman from Virginia, Mr. Conley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I don't know what to say after that last one. Um, fellow Americans, we're elected officials. We're trying to get at the truth and we're trying to participate in the process at getting at the truth. Mr. Tibi, uh, you have said that this isn't really a matter of right or left, that um, there are lots of different ideological colorations. might, in fact, involve people from the right ideologically or from the Republican ranks, just to be fair. Well, again, Mr. Congressman, I, I mentioned before, we're focused not on the Biden administration or the Trump administration. In fact, this, just this morning, uh, we released uh, uh, an exchange where Twitter talked about um, vetting the accounts of both Mr. Biden and Mr. Trump. Uh, and really, we were looking at the intelligence agencies when we were doing this research. And as I mentioned before, their conclusions targeted people on both the left and the right globally, again, including the Yellow Vest movement in France, the pro-Maduro accounts in South America, and leftist uh, news organizations in America like Truthout and Consortium. Some of those people are my friends, actually. Um, and, you know, we found those in intelligence lists that were passed on to Twitter, uh, just as we, we found lists that included uh, ordinary Trump supporters. Thank you. Um, reclaiming my time, I appreciate that, because in some ways what you just said undermines the premise of this select committee which is that the federal government has been organized to weaponize uh, against conservative voices. Um, and, of course, what you've just indicated in your testimony is, well, actually, that's not the evidence you found. No, I think this committee, my understanding is that they're, they're concerned about the weapon, weaponization of, of the government against free speech, which is certainly what we're finding. I, I Thank you. My time has expired, but I appreciate your understanding of our committee. I have a different understanding. I yield back. Well, you got the wrong understanding. Last week in the, in the full Judiciary Committee hearing, I introduced into the record a story of a left-wing journalist who said that, that talked about the FBI putting a paid informant, a felon, in the Black Lives Matter movement in Denver. I want to focus on the First Amendment, just like protecting the First Amendment, just like these guys. Point of order, Mr. Chair. Are you going to respond after every? No, I'm everything? taking my five minutes. This is I your, can take oh, my your, five minutes. Oh, you're, it's your five minutes I can now. Take my five minutes when 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 I want to, and I'm taking my five okay, minutes. Okay, great. Now. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'd ask for an additional few seconds for being interrupted by the ranking member. Um, but the the truth is, we want to focus on protecting the First Amendment. Mr. Schellenberg, are you a Republican? No, I'm not. You got a, you got any you know pro Trump bumper stickers on your car? I voted for Biden. Voted for Biden. You know any MAGA hats laying around your house, right? I do not. Yeah, but you said earlier, both you and Mr. Tybee said, this is the most chilling thing you've ever seen as journalists. Mr. Tybee, the same thing. You're not a Republican either, right? No, no. I'm not. You didn't vote for Trump. I mean, like, this is about protecting the First Amendment. Mr. Tybee, I want to read from your uh, Twitter file number nine. You say this. After weeks of Twitter files, the Bureau issued a statement Wednesday referring to the FBI. Here's what the FBI said. It is unfortunate that conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the American public misinformation with the sole purpose of attempting to discredit the agency. You then follow up. This is why I think you're an award-winning author. You then follow up. They must think we're unambitious if our sole aim is to discredit the FBI. After all, a whole range of government agencies discredit themselves in the Twitter files. 
And then you go on to, in this particular Twitter file, and talk about what Mr. Bishop was just talking about, the GEC at the State Department. You talk about the CIA. You talk about the DOD. You talk about the FBI. You talk about the DHS. You talk about the Foreign Intelligence Task Force, which is a combination of all these. But there was one agency you didn't mention because you didn't know at the time. One agency, one, you got almost the whole alphabet, but you didn't mention one agency, the FTC. The FTC, you, you know about them now. <laughs> yes, we you know about them now in an up close and personal way. You didn't know then, but you do know, uh, know, know now. December 2nd, as I said earlier, December 2nd, the first Twitter file comes out, Mr. Taibbi. And I think there are five others, including the ones from Mr. Schellenberger. December 13th, the very first letter that the FTA, uh, FTC sends to Twitter after the Twitter files, 11 days after the first Twitter file. There have been five of them come out. The FTC's first demand in that first letter after the Twitter files come out is identify all journalists, I'm, I'm quoting, identify all journalists and other members of the media to whom Twitter worked with. You find that scary, Mr. Taibbi, that you got a federal government agency asking a private company, who in the press are you talking with? Yeah, I, I do find it scary. I, I, I think it's none of the government's business what... Uh, which journalists a private company talks to and why. Um, I think every journalist should be concerned about that and the absence of interest in that issue by um, uh, my fellow colleagues in the mainstream media is an indication of how low the business has sunk. Uh, there was once a real esprit de corps and a camaraderie uh, within media. Whenever one of us was uh, gone after, we all kind of rose to the challenge and supported. Used to be. Yeah. Used to be the case. Um, that is gone now. Uh, we, we don't protect one. You know what else other. used to happen? Democrats used to care about protecting First Amendment free speech rights, too. Now it's like, OK, if you're attacking. And I said this on the House floor. I said, don't think they won't come for you. Oh, the, the, the big tech, big media, the cancel culture. They may come for Republicans and conservatives now, but they never the mob is never satisfied. They will keep coming. Mr. Schellenberger, you know who the chair of the FTC is? Uh, not Personally, Lena Khan, Lena Khan, you know who she used to work for? My understanding is the Judiciary Committee. Yeah, she's worked for these folks. The same folks have been attacking you today. Same folks. Chair of the FTC, work for them. Here's what they said. Here's what she said in one in a letter where they ask about who these journalists. Again, they named four personally, four journalists by name. You were two of the four. As I said before, I think it's, it's frankly courageous and brave of you to show up today when you know the federal government's got an eye on you personally. Here's what they asked for in that letter. Any credentialing or background check Twitter has done on journalists. Now think about that. The federal government is saying we want you to do a background check on members of the press. Freedom of the press mentioned in the First Amendment. And they're doing that. They want Twitter to do a background check on you before they can talk to you in America. The FTC led by Lena Khan, who used to work for these guys, is asking that question. Now, 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 now we know, now we all know why you guys said at the outset, this is the most chilling story. And you guys are New York Times bestsellers, award-winning uh, journalists. But in all your, your time in the, in the journalism field, this issue, most important. And how this, I think, what'd you call it, Mr. Schellenberg, this complex, what'd you call it? The, the censorship industrial complex. Totally. This web of censorship, big government, big tech, NGOs, all this web of censorship that Mr. Bishop was getting into in his line of questioning. That's what this committee is going to get to. And that's not right or left. That's not, this is just right or wrong. This is wrong. We know it's wrong. And it's about protecting the First Amendment. I yield back. I now recognize the. Myself.
the, the ranking member uh, for her five minutes. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. Um, Mr. Taibbi, the emails and documents you've produced all date to around 2020. Is that correct? No, uh, there's a significant portion of them from 2017 and 2018 as well. Thank you. And Mr. Schellenberger, what dates do you have? I, I believe that we had emails including 2022, 2021, yeah, 2020. That's also true. 2019. And Mr. Taibbi said 2018. I don't. Mr. Schellenberger, do you know how many were employed in content moderation during that time? I do not know. Okay. So we're looking at thousands of employees overall, and hundreds in offices were the focus of emails and documents you released. Um, I will ask you, Mr. Schellenberger, how many emails did Mr. Musk give you access to? I mean, we, we, we went through thousands of emails. Did he give you access to all of the emails for the time we, period in which? Yeah, I, we never had a single, I never had a single request denied. And not only that, but the amount of files that we were given were so voluminous that there was no way that anybody could have gone through them beforehand. And we never found an instance where anything, there was any evidence that anything had been taken out. Okay, so you would, you would believe that you have probably millions of emails and documents. That's where I ended my coverage for my video. Like I said, I did not watch the whole day. I don't have time to do that sort of uh, coverage. But these clips that I've shared on the show just now are indicative of the way it went. You had many people from the left attack, 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 kill the messenger. And then you had more reasonable questioning from those on the right, of which I am, you know, in solidarity with my conservative brethren, especially the America First side of the house. Um, I think they are bringing the type of change all Americans need with their America first policies. And this zeroing in on the free speech side of it is where we have to go as a nation if we want to go forward as a free republic. So I'm gonna wind down the show unless if any of my listeners would like to chat, I'd love to hear what you think, especially if you took some time to listen to the hearings today. Anybody wanna chat? All right. Thank you for stopping. Oh, there's Gator. Okay. Hi, Jenny. Um, yeah, I haven't watched that much. I've seen the um, opening statements and then um, basically the questioning after that, um, two or three on each side. And I would say that, yeah, I mean, from the basis of, of that, plus what I watched with the four panel of four Twitter executives, former Twitter executives, the, the format you're describing is roughly right. The Democrats are engaged in... Um, a form of defensive um, narrative warping, which includes going to the extreme of outright lying um, about matters historic and current. And the Republicans are basically generally saying, what is the ultimate fundamental legal underpin of the principles in play here? And is the state breaching them? Yes then that's the first and practically the only 
issue that we really need to be concerned about. Everything else is window dressing. And the Democrats are depending upon a combination of ad hominem attacks, first and foremost, on anyone who says anything that they don't like, which exactly embodies the entire technique of the censorship that's now being employed. And then they are into alternate reality spinning after the ad hominem and that's what you're seeing today or or in that in these in the um senate hearing uh today yeah it was in congress it wasn't the senate sorry congress uh, yeah they're doing a i think they're doing some mighty righteous work uh there are many people who did not want these hearings to happen heck they didn't want the twitter files to come out and here we are and so everybody who has an honest heart has a decision to make are you going to stand comfortably in the truth with the evidence as it's being presented or are you going to stand comfortably in these whirl, whirlwinds of lies? And the questioning of Matt, you know, on how much money did you make? How, how much increase did you get in your Twitter uh, following counts? You know, these are the stupidest questions I think yeah. I've ever heard. And, and yet there's De- Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was trending on Twitter just now at number two, you know, asking the most inane, pointless questions in the most rude, condescending manner, cutting people off while they're trying to make answers. I mean, this type of behavior is so beneath our congressional representatives that any citizen who's observing it should say, no, enough. It has to stop. Can we have a conversation? And when you invite a couple of people up to speak on Capitol Hill, it's generally agreed that you should let them speak. But... But but Debbie Wasserman Schultz is a proven, base, basically all but proven criminal, and basically everybody in this democratic democratic setup are basically they know that they are they are criminals because they are all involved in the sponsoring, activation, endorsement, and protection or or obfuscation of their use of state organs illegally against the constitution to outsource to a private organisations. Um, the bypassing of the First Amendment, totally illegal. And that's why they are all um, trying to constantly lie and gaslight everyone to, 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 uh, because they are literally guilty and they know it. And the problem, the pro- a, a really big cultural problem that America has is that all of your politicians recognize that all of them are flat out fucking liars and the only thing that they will do to each other to punish each other for lying is to limit their access to select committees to to committees adam schiff being the classic your speaker has said he's an absolute proven liar adam schiff is lied on all of these topics for years and years and years his punishment is not to be taken to the criminal courts his punishment is to be removed from the House Intelligence Committee, but he can go on any other committee and he can still be a politician. That level of corruption inside government en masse is the break on any real meaningful resolution to this. So what you're looking at with the Twitter congressional hearing is important. Absolutely. It must happen. And Taibi said, well, Taibi said one thing that's incredibly important, and Schellenberger said something that is equally incredibly important. Taibi said that in all his years of reporting, this is by far and away the biggest, most frightening, most serious, most important investigation topic he's ever seen. 
Schellenberger echoed that, but he, but Schellenberger also expressly said, everything that we've seen is exactly what is involved in a to- its totalitarian state. And, and there you have the Democrats trying to suppress and defend what they've done in pursuit of the totalitarian state. And they have, that, that is out in, on public, in public now. Have you heard the claim that Facebook in particular, but also Twitter, were in fact started by three-letter government agencies? And then Mark Zuckerberg was placed, you know, as CEO, this young, brilliant person, but he's really a puppet. And same with the guy who owns who owned Twitter. And that they really set these social media companies up to more easily uh, follow and, um, you know, just censor and, uh, well, uh, you know... I'm not, I've, not heard, I've not seen evidence that that's true, right? But there's a different way of looking at it that's, that's easily workable. Pe- people want to always get to the genesis event, right? They want to know, they want to think they know who started what first, right? Like who did 9-11, right? Who started Facebook? And, 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 and Facebook was created or deliberately always created to be a mass control idea because it was made by the CIA. Actually... None of those things may be true, and, they, and you don't have to know the truth, because what's more important is this. How the shit gets used in the end. That's the important bit. So you can, it's perfectly possible that, that Zuckerberg started hot or not, and then, he made, and then he turned that into Facebook. And at some point after Facebook, after 2007, probably around 2010, the state organs looked at this and went, right, we're looking at this. What does this tech mean? Oh, look, it has provable psychological impacts on people uh, on a behavioral basis. Let's get FBI behaviorologists to look at this and see what it means. And the CIA did the same and other governments did the same, other agencies did the same. And they all concluded, you know what? We have a really good tool here for propaganda and and information management. We need to get on board with these. uh, We need to go and talk to these um, the people running it and see if we can make them agents of the CIA and the FBI. That is a classic intel operation. You don't build stuff. You go and co-opt the shit that's out there and you make it, you make it your own. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and that is a much more pragmatic way to look at things. 9-11, for example, you don't actually really need to know exactly the minutiae of how it was done. What's much more important to recognise is how the event was used to achieve shitloads of political goals, which were always on the plate of yeah. neocons just waiting for the Pearl Harbor events that allowed them to take over the world. Patriot Act and all the wars. Exactly, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so there's a, there's, you can free yourself of worrying too much about the genesis because you focus on what's important, what legislation happens, how your life gets fucked as people politically use these tools or events to their ends and that's what you need to always be aware of and fighting but when eventually some information leaks out that gives you a better idea of the genesis like we know better now more about 9-11 right than we did because we know the level of saudi involvement well it was originated by saudis the level of saudi involvement was 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 allowed by government right and they were allowed to escape and we partially funded them through our long historical relationships with Wahhabism and everything else. So, the, so in a way, 9-11 is a partial inside job because we, have, we as a West have played a part in enabling it. 
but did we actually put nanothermite into the building and blow it and was it all was was it all don't know you see what i mean that's where you can operate in the gray with with genesis events well i went over to twitter to see what the left was saying about the hearing and they were really applauding debbie wasserman schultz for making the case that the FBI, in fact, is paying Twitter, a private company, because they're helping them to find the bad guys. And this was a righteous cause and legitimate, and that's why the FBI was involved. And she said it so smugly, like this is the answer that everybody needs. You know, the left goes to these types of things, get one or two talking points, and then mm. use them on their own Twitter and in their conversations with other people. And it's like, see, I've owned you, because I've got the ultimate argument back and end of story. There's nothing else to talk about. It was legit. Well, yeah. Nobody's talking about, you know, Elon saying things like, oh, we found 70,000 child porn accounts on Twitter that he got rid of the first week. Nobody's talking about that. The yeah. level of human trafficking that was going on using Twitter tools. Nobody's talking about that. And then it's the censorship thing is really the, the story of the day, in my opinion, because as an American, I demand my free speech. Well, OK, so this construct that you just described about Debbie Wasserman Schultz saying, hey, look, the purpose of this has been to find the bad guys. And if you have a problem with that, then you're either a bad guy yourself or you're sick. That's essentially a quick boil down of what you just described to me, isn't it? That's basically what Wasserman Schultz is doing. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Where have you heard that before? Mm, nothing's coming to mind. Okay. Remember when George Bush said, you're either with us or against us? Oh, yeah. It's exactly the same basic childish polarization. And it also is the basic same creation of a total fantastical dichotomy, which is either good or bad in absolute terms. And you're either on the right side or you're on the absolute wrong side. This is a complete fallacy, right? It's a complete fantasy and it's completely fallacious. And this is this is again an ev evidence of how desperate the, the, the Democrats are. Um, I mean, I mean, I say Democrats, I'm not comfortable with just using that label because it's much more it's neocon. Right. It's democratic. It's neocon. It's but it's also it's also Republican. It's 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 across the aisle and it's deep state as well, which is so it's more it's 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 hard to find an affair to the totalitarian twats. I don't know what how how better to put it. Right. I call them the Uniparty. Yeah, yeah, that'll do. That'll do. OK, let's call them. Let's call them the Uniparty. Right. So it's the so it's the Uniparty um, doing something called cognitive warfare and perception management in order to achieve their totalitarian, um, authoritarian, totalitarian, fascistic um, take on total power. That's basically what we're looking at. That's right. Well, if you don't have any more comments, I'm going to close down the room, unless if those of you who've just come in have been listening to the hearing and would love to participate, just let me know if you'd like to make a comment. Show's been going for about an hour and that's usually where I, I, I say it's time to stop. Cheers, Jenny. I'll yield to Peter. Oh, good. Peter's here. Great. Thank you. Hey, Peter, what say you about the Twitter hearing? Yeah, I actually, uh, uh, oh, by the way, good evening, Jenny, and uh, thank you for taking my call. Yeah, I, I 
I heard the Gator talk about this. Uh, oh, you or Gator talk about this uni party thing. So I want to propose this crazy theory to both you and the uh, Gator. And Gator, please comment. Now, the U.S. when it was founded, the founders believed this. There has to be a separate of powers, separation of powers, right? So there will be legislature, executive branch, and judiciary. Back then, everything's on paper, right? So they, these three branches of government are deliberately separated because they're supposed to provide this so something called the checks and the balance. You, you're aware of that, right, Jenny? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, again, because you guys talk about you, it's a uni party. I think it's more than a uni party. It's a uni government. What is this? Since the computer technology comes up i'm just using federal government as example they are all on the same email system what i'm trying to say is this the lawmaking the law enforcement and the judiciary they are all on the same damn email system they can im each other they can instant messaging each other in the internal government computer system that is no longer a separation of power. That's a uni government. Well, I'm going to push back on that because I don't think there's anything wrong with members of the, the government, especially our representatives, talking to each other. I don't have any tr trouble with people talking to each other, especially if they are on servers where all of their speech is being collected. It's, it's where they get off on their own private servers, like Hillary Clinton did or the DNC, and they're talking to each other on you know, again, about government affairs, about classified data, and nobody's monitoring that. Nobody can see that. That's where I have a problem with that. But, you know, Peter, did you watch the hearing? I'm curious if you heard the hearing on Capitol Hill today around the Twitter files. That's what we're talking about. I have a show already covered this area. Oh, it's good. A, yeah, I, I already, it's a way before the Twitter files. I, I called it the FBI's Disinformation Board. I already know the FBI have a Disinformation Board. Twitter is one of the several others social media platform that as FBI is uh, is uh, regulating the speech for their own purposes. Facebook is another one. So, oh, I had that uh, way back because uh, FBI admitted as soon as uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg told uh, uh, Joe Rogan that he is aware of the fact that the FBI have visited, routinely visit the Facebook headquarters. And the, the FBI then issued a public statement saying they routinely do that. That's before the Twitter file dump. So, no, I totally agree. So, Gator, basically, I, I would love to hear Gator comment. Basically, like I said, Oh, 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 before I do that, uh, Jenny, I will push back uh, of your pushback. Again, not trying to be argumentative, okay? Oh, you could be argumentative. Oh, no. I don't care. It's okay. yeah, so imagine the FBI, before they searched the Mar-a-Lago, they actually already is in communication ex parte with the court, with the law clerk of the court. They are all on the same system. Yes, it, they hate President okay. Trump. That is that, in other words, you can the government can find out who is their enemy, and the three branches can work together to conspire. So 
I, I would love to hear Gator's uh, uh, feedback. Thank you, Peter. Hi, Apisa. Um, yeah, look, I agree with you in principle, but it's not the be all and end all. What you've just described is not the com is not complete, right? It's a factor in multiple factors, and this is why I put in the chat a link to an article to something that describes what 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 is described what is called digital Maoism. Right now, this is happening in Britain, and it happen. I know it's happening in Britain, and it happens around the world, and it ties to the construct of the global public private partnership as a power as a as a global resource acquisition allocation um structure because that's what it is right now what you're saying is is fair because technology is a double-edged sword we now live in a world where every electronic communication is captured by multiple state agencies all over the world right and the only difference, the only reason why something is looked at and not is whether somebody prioritizes you, the target. There's so much of it, as Edward Snowden and William Binney point out, the big mistake with bulk surveillance is when you catch everything, you know nothing because it's the world's biggest haystack and every single thing in it looks like a needle. So you have to be more discerning and that's a technical complexity in itself, right? But everything is recorded. And once you get a guy who's interested in a target, everything in the past is there available and that and that f government officials fall foul of it twitter people are falling foul of it now because everything that those banal wankers put down on paper on on electronic paper well basically a lot of it still exists it's like the nazis who in banally documented the holocaust i mean they made very detailed records of how many teeth got pulled and who got kicked into the showers right that is the banality of evil in that context. And we still live in those times today, right? Because evil and good needs to be administrated and, and the records need to be kept. But it's not the be all and end all because digital Maoism is literally um, the doing away with the fear control that Mao used, which was to destroy society with bullets and blood and fear to rebuild it in his, in his ideal um under his ideology. Well, you can do that now without bullets and blood and, uh, and then you still get fear because the money and the power go around collectively, selectively co-opting key people and as many as they can in every layer of society, government, regulators, law enforcement, unions, whatever. And they just buy them out or they blackmail them or whatever. And eventually they get those people to start singing from the same home sheet. COVID's a perfect example of this. And well, then, and Gator, let me toss in yeah. right, right, here right here that I think Thomas Massey's five minutes were the best of the whole day that I heard. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how the CDC was monitoring every single politician and they had yeah. their own spreadsheet on each politician and they wanted to know their positions on COVID. And when yeah. he started pushing back on certain things, they not only censored his tweets, they made it impossible for his constituents to comment on those tweets. Yeah. And so he felt like while he was being disenfranchised, it was more the people he represented who were being disenfranchised the most because they couldn't comment and have a discussion about yeah. what he was talking about. Same thing is happening in Britain, and there's evidence of it on paper now in the Twitter, in the Telegraph's lockdown files. 
That investigation isn't perfect. It's very politicized. There's a, there's a political management, perception management tool going on there. It's, it's a corrupt presentation of information for political purposes, but it still has value, right? And the same thing's happening. So even the, 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 um, the, the conservative party were maintaining spreadsheets of which of their MPs were pro or anti COVID, government COVID narrative. With, with key reasons why and key pinch points of how the party could, could, could force and lever behavior onto those, um, how they could bring those people in line, right? That's what they were doing just in their own party. And the MI, MI5, MI6 will be, have always run, um, dossiers on anyone, anyone who, who was, who it considered to be politically significant. So that means that the MI5, has and always will have dossiers on every single person who could go anywhere near um, the House of Commons or the House of Lords. And it, basically, nobody ever admitted to that until about 20 years ago. Uh, and, the, and one politician was offered that, that to look at the dossier, his dossier, Jack Straw, the then Home Secretary, and he refused to basically because he didn't want to end up having to take questions that would reveal just exactly how pernicious the, the UK's MI5 internal security service was when it came to vetting and controlling through information and knowledge the, the, the most powerful people in the country, politicians. So, are the so most to, yeah, to just end on the point, because I've been going on for ages, I do agree with Peter, but, but Peter makes too big a deal of, of saying this is the, the cause. It's not. It's one of the contributory key tools, but there's other things that go on and, and they were, and they were kind of going on independent of, poly, of, of technology. It's the political mindset. It's the power management mindset. It's the fear narrative perception control mindset, but, but it gets quicker, easier, faster and hard and more powerful when you amplify it with the technology that he's describing. Well, I, one of the main things they want is our medical records. And I was reminded of this reading an old blog post I wrote in 2011 during the primary when Barack Obama was laying out his plans. One of them was to digitize all of the American people's medical records. And when you look at what's happening today in terms of them setting up the Great Reset and they want all of our medical records and you can move around based on your vaccine status, that's the goal, and then creating this separate reality, this separate world for the anti-vaxxers, the people who refuse to get vaccinated. You are the underclass, you are the other, you are the ones we are going to cancel. When you think about that, having our medical records is the key to the whole thing. And so that side of it too is also kind of shaking out as, as we go forward, that this is really the goal, was to get right into our medical records as a way to coerce, control, bribe, threaten, oh, you're not worthy of having a child. We're not going to support you in having a child. We're going to make it impossible for you to get the health care you need. This, These are the end goals. So, hey, guys, I got to go put supper on the table. It's only 530 here in Colorado. But thank you all so much for showing up. Any final, final comment, Gator? Just one. What you are, what we are now in, in the West, is the is the um masqueraded descent into totalitarianism in exactly the same way as happened in Nazi Germany. 
the Nazi Nazis pretended to be national socialists, but what were they? They were fa obviously, you know, fascists. W this is the same repetition. It's just that the wrapper, the the the, the parcels wrapped in a different paper, right? And the message that's been written in the birthday card reads differently, but the present inside is still a massive turd, right? And that's all you need to remember. Nothing <laughs> is different. It's the same stuff in different <laughs> wrapping paper. It always comes back to that crap sandwich. <laughs> yes, but we don't have to take a bite. No, we don't. We have our freedom. Oh, thank you all for showing up. It's turned out to be a great show. Really appreciate all of the commentary. I will be back.